Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. For many, our country has never felt more divided, racially, politically, spiritually. People are hurting and feel angry, afraid and confused. Who will heal our land? Only God can bring healing and reconciliation where we need it most. Through Christ, we can embrace race, experience unity, oneness, all despite who our next president is. The solution starts with God. In this series, we will ask God to heal the divided states of America and each week give a solution on where we can start now. Week three of our series, Divided States of America. Now, if you've been uh, the last two weeks, you know that this is not a gloom and doom message because that's not what we believe. We don't believe that we're in the, you know, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, it's me, you know, it's bad. Everything's falling apart. The world's falling apart. America's falling. I don't believe that. I don't believe that because I believe that I serve a God who's totally in control and never lost control. Amen? Amen? You don't have to agree with me because I'm preaching today, so you don't have to agree with everything I say, but I'm telling you, as the pastor of the exchange, I believe that God is completely, 100% in control of America, and I believe that He's never lost control. He knows exactly what He's doing. He knows where we're at. He knows what's going on in our life. And he's in control. And so, but, but the viewpoint, the perception of people outside of this church is just that. Is that everything in life has fallen apart. The world is coming to an end. I mean, people are so concerned. And you, there, there are things you should be concerned about. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned. This election is a, a big election. It's a big election. And, uh, and so there are definitely things you should be praying for. And you should be involved. You should vote um, because it's your right as an American. But I don't think America's in a lot of trouble. I believe God's got us right where he wants us. God always sets things up right where he wants us. Reuben was, Pastor Reuben was talking about the story of, of Jesus walking on the wall. He sets us up. He sets us up to be right where we need to be. And it didn't make any sense that they're out in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the water, and there's no Jesus. But Jesus was like, I got a plan. So today, the title of my message in this series, Divide States America, is God can fix anything. Do you believe that? God can fix anything. So a lot of you may remember the story in Genesis chapter 18. This is where Abraham is sitting in his tent. The Bible says he's at the entrance of his tent. And these three men show up. They're representing God. So the Lord shows up in these three men. And Abraham goes out and he meets them and he greets them. And he's talking to them. He runs back to Sarah and he says, Sarah, fix them a cake. Fix them some food. And so they fix dinner for him. And he goes back out and he's talking with them. They're having this conversation. So if you would, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pick up in this, this story, Genesis chapter number 18. We're going to go into verse number 9. During their conversation, the Lord asked Abraham this. He says in verse 9, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then God says something incredible here I want you to get. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Dun, dun, dun. Now Sarah is listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. And so Sarah laughed. 
Sarah laughed. Verse number 12 starts off with Sarah laughed. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the incredible men and women, the the people that are in this service, God. I thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you just open our eyes, God, to this moment where we realize that you can fix anything. And we thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. You have a piece of paper in your hand. Hang on to that. I'll tell you what we're going to do with it in a little bit. Hopefully you have a pen also. Uh, so you're going to write on that. We're going to do homework. This is not for note taking. Uh, you're welcome to take notes on it, but it's not for note taking. Um, so they're in the tent. Sarah overhears this conversation Abraham's having with these guys. And he says, this time next year, you're going to have, you're going to have a son. Your wife, Sarah, is going to get pregnant. She's going to have a son. Sarah's listening. I can just imagine what that looked like or what it sounded like, but she's listening. She's like, I wonder what they're telling him. I wonder what they're telling him. And she's just, she's like, you know, maybe there's a servant in the background sweeping the dirt or something. She's like, shh, stop sweeping. You know, she's listening. Maybe she's got a cup to her ear. I don't know what she was doing. But she's listening intently, trying to hear it. And all of a sudden, she hears them say, your wife's going to get pregnant. She spit her milk out. Boogers came out of her nose. <laughs> she, she started laughing. One version really tells you she laughed to herself. Another, the, uh, the rest of the story, it's a- Abraham laughs. Abraham laughs. At this time, Sarah's old, okay? Now, I was going to use one of you as an example, but I thought smart about that. Thought it wouldn't be a good idea to say, for example, you know, you, you wouldn't have any more kids, right? But then I thought, oh, that could be bad. It'd be real bad. But let's just say this. Most of you ladies, right, you're done with having kids. Amen? Raise your hand if you're done. Okay. So, so to you, it would be safe for me to say you would be shocked if God came to you and said, you're going to have a kid. It would be awesome if he said that to Lisa because they, they like having kids. They have lots of kids. <laughs> every time for a long time every time I talked to Kevin they were pregnant I ain't lying every single time and I was like dude wow that's amazing and uh, and that builds the church he was planning a church and he was like we need to have a lot of kids we need a kids ministry so <laughs> kids ministry and so God hears Sarah laugh and he says why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child, child now that I'm own, old? And God says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Okay, do you get that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah is 90 years old when she gets pregnant. We're not real sure if she had, had uh, Isaac when she was 91 or still 90. We're not sure, but she was right there when she got pregnant. And, and now she finds out, or before she gets pregnant, she finds out she's going to have a baby. And it's unbelievable. And God's asking her, why did she say that? Why did she say And the reason I'm writing this message to you today is because God is asking some of you the same question. Is there anything that God can't do? Is there anything that that you would like to see happen in your life that you've come to a place where you go, you know what, God can't do it. See, we all have difficulties in life. We all have different difficult situations that we're facing. But in the midst of them, God is asking us this question. Do you think that your problem is too hard for me to fix? Or do you believe that I can work it out for you even though you think it's impossible? Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18, he says, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Come on, say that with me. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Do you believe that this morning? You better believe that. This is a word that you have to get. You can accept that he can perform the impossible in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your future, and in this country. Amen? Amen. Come on, do you believe that? He can do impossible things in every situation of your life. Everything that you have faced. I gave you a piece of paper this morning. So you're holding this piece of paper and you got a pen. All throughout this service, 
all throughout this service, I want everybody to write something on this paper. You can write whatever you want, but I want you to write something that you have almost felt that is impossible for God to do in your life. Maybe you don't at the moment, but maybe you have. Something that maybe everyone else says, it's, it, that's impossible. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. Maybe it's something that's private, that's personal, that no one knows. That's between you and God. But, but we all have situations. We all have circumstances in our life that we would like to see God do something impossible. And slowly we, we fade away. So all throughout this message, at any time, I want you to just write as many as you want. One, two, three, four, five, six. And at the end of the message, we're going to turn these, these things in. We're going to pray over them. And you don't have to write your name on them. You're welcome to. But we're going to begin to pray over these things. And over the next few days, weeks, months, over the next year, we're going to expect God to do the absolutely impossible. Come on, are you with me? I believe we still serve a God that does the impossible things. And the church has got to start saying that. We've got to start speaking that. We've gotten too silent. And we've, we've put God in a box. And we said God can only do up to this point. But everything else, that's impossible. God is the God of the impossible. See, we're quick to counsel people all the time about what God can do in their life, right? When you see somebody going, Kevin would call me sometimes, and he's like, man, Jared, I'm just, I'm down, I'm frustrated, I'm beat down. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this. And my job as a friend and as a pastor is just like yours to a lot of your friends. You say, man, come on, you know God's in this. You know God's in control, right? We like to say that. Nobody? Just me? We, I'm going to get over here so you can see me, so I can see y'all. We, like we like to talk to people and say, hey, God's in control. He's totally in control. God's got this, right? We're good at that. We tell people all the time, God's got this, man. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. God's in, in control. And we like to say this, God's the God and the impossible, right? Because we, we say that. And I believe that for Kevin, but we don't always believe that for me. So imagine Sarah, she hears this. If Sarah was in this situation where she had some friends of theirs and they met at the bingo night at the seniors club. They're at bingo night and Abraham and Sarah sitting across from this other old couple that she comes rolling in on her wheelchair and she's 92 years old. And Sarah's like, why are you so upset? She's like, I'm just frustrated. Why are you frustrated? Well, I thought we were going to have a kid. I, I God gave me a promise when I was young that I was going to have a kid. I knew I was going to have a kid. And, and every year I dreamed I was going to have a kid. We thought we were pregnant so many times. I've taken so many pregnancy tests. They know my name up there at Walgreens. And Sarah's like, don't worry about it. If you believe that God told you that, God's in control. And Sarah, can you imagine? Sarah giving this lady counsel. Oh, we serve a God. And she says it in her old voice. We serve a God. How oh, the impossible. We serve a God that can do the impossible. When man says it can't happen, it can happen. We used to have a, a guy at our old church in Wichita Falls. He was on staff with us. He was a staff pastor, but his job was whatever he wanted to do because we honored him. We were like, you're retired, so you come to staff meeting anytime you want. You can go visit anybody you want in the hospital. You can preach anytime you want, but you never have to do any of it. You do whatever you want. You're retired and you're awesome. And we would say, Brother Gilbert, do you have anything to say? And I can imitate him perfectly. He would say, well, at the age of 77, I'm just so thankful to still be serving the Lord. I just, uh, well, I just want to honor you guys and just be a part of what God's doing in the kingdom. That's what he would say. I love that guy. Love that guy. So I imagine Sarah and Abraham sitting in, in maybe even the old folks' home. I don't know. And they're hanging out. And this lady's just, God, you know, I'm just so disappointed. Now I'm, I'm on my deathbed. And Sarah, Sarah starts telling her things like, you're not on your deathbed. The better days are ahead of you. We serve a God who can do the impossible. Right? Sarah would give that counsel because Sarah was a woman of God. Sarah knew who God was. She believed in God and she knew that God could do things like that. But for her, see, we believe it for everybody else. But we're in situations and seasons right now that we look at ourselves and we go, well, this one's too big. 
it, my situation is too unique. It's too different. It's, you know, God, yeah, God does things for everybody else, but never for me. This morning, I want to remind you, God is the God of the impossible, okay? He is the God of the impossible, and he wants to do some very impossible things in your life. We really, we, we do not really believe in God unless we believe that he is the God of the impossible. Okay? Did you hear me this morning? I'm going to say it again. You, you really don't believe in God Unless you believe he is God of the impossible. Okay? You can't say, I believe in God, but, you know, uh, it's not enough for him to simply be the creator of all things. But we have to believe that God can do the impossible in our life. And the Bible makes it very clear that if we don't believe this about him, then we don't trust him. Okay? In my opinion, there's no amount of counseling that's going to do people a ton of good if they doubt God's miracle in their own life. I believe in Christian counseling, and I believe it's necessary, and I believe it's helpful. But it's useless to counsel someone who isn't fully convinced that God himself can fix their problems. Right? As a, as a pastor, I... I can't offer anything to a married couple who doesn't believe that God can save their relationship. Things can seem absolutely hopeless to people. They've built up resentment and bitterness. But if they're not convinced that God can do the impossible, then I really can't help them. Several years ago, uh, I was in my office and I was counseling with a couple. And we sat down in my office and I pulled up my chair and I was sitting kind of beside them. And... We just started talking, and the wife made a comment, and when she did, he rolled his eyes, started shaking his head. I knew where it was going, okay? And he popped off and said, that's not, that's not true. And I said, okay, well, then what's your perception of this? And he started going back, and she started shaking her head. Next thing you know, it was just pinball, back and forth, just gripe, gripe, gripe. They started yelling at each other. It started getting really intense. And I said, stop, enough. Enough. Stop, 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 stop. Stop. No more. No more talking. Stop. Stop talking. Stop. No more talking. No more talking. Stop. And I sat back down and I said, I looked at the guy and I said, do you even believe? He just looked at me for a minute. And I said, do you, do you believe that God is Lord in your life? No, not in mine. And I said, well, guys, this session is over. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry you guys wasted your time. Y'all need to go to uh, someone else, you know, uh, somebody else outside of the church. And I said, because honestly, I don't work miracles. And I can't help you. And I said, and if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe that God is Lord of all, then there's nothing I can do for you. And I sat there, and I'm trying to think of what to say next, what to do. Do I just get them out, you know? And 60 seconds of silence. And finally, I looked at him, and I said, do you want to save your marriage? Yeah. And I said, do you want God to take over and save your marriage? He said, yeah. And I said, then let's make him Lord of all. He said, okay. So I grabbed his hand. We began to pray. He reached over and grabbed his wife's hand. And they begin to pray. And I, I led him through the sinner's prayer. And we just, we made God Lord of all right then. And he gave his life to God right then. And in my office, we finished praying. Both of them are bawling. We finished praying. I looked at them and I said, okay, now let's go. Now let's start. The point was, is there's nothing that I could do for them. You know, I could give you all kinds of tidbits that help you stop fighting for a little while. I can give you ideas to help. Make things better. I can give you some communication skills to help you communicate. But there's a point that if you don't believe God can save your marriage, then there's nothing I can do about you. And if you don't believe God can do the impossible in your life, then you don't believe in God. That's the point. And that's the point I was trying to make. You have to believe in God. I tell, people, I tell couples this right away. I will counsel you, I'll do whatever you need me to do. But if you don't believe God can fix this, then there's no point of even going on. No point of going on. 
Do you have faith that God can do the impossible? Some people answer, but you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how bad he's hurt me. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what she's done to me. And they give me all these excuses why God's probably not going to be able to fix their situation because it's too unique. But he is the God of the impossible. The impossible, every impossible situation. Jesus spoke very clearly when he said, the things which are impossible with men, they are possible with me. I can do those things that nobody else can do, that nobody else has given you hope of. I can come into any situation and I can flip script on you so fast your head will spin. Amen? Do you believe that? His people will come in and, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know what, I've, I've done everything we can. I've, I've, we've tried to talk. We've tried to communicate. They come in. They sit down. And I realize real quickly the only reason that they're in my office for counseling is so that they can say, we tried everything. They don't believe that God can heal their marriage, their relationship. They just want an excuse. We tried everything. We even went to counseling. All over this nation, people are giving up on their marriages. Minister friends of mine are losing their marriages. And some of them walking away, some of them quitting because it seems so impossible. I have a, a good friend who's going through just an ugly time right now in his life. And he was telling me last week, he said, Jared, it's, it's over. She's, she's done in her mind, but I can't let go. And I told him, I said, don't let go. I was working on this message. I sent him that Luke chapter, chapter 27 Chapter 18, verse 27. I seen that verse said, just a reminder, don't let go. The things that are impossible with God are possible with men. There's no situation that you can get in that God can't solve. There's no problem that you have that God can't fix. Don't believe me? Write it down. Okay? Come on, write it down. Whatever it is, whatever it is in your job, in your workplace, in your marriage, in your home, write it down. Nothing in your life is beyond his ability to fix. Otherwise, your Christianity is in vain because you believe God only up to a point. But you don't truly believe him to be God of the impossible. Mark, the, the Gospel of Mark describes a really nasty situation, one that seemed pretty impossible to fix to most people. Mark chapter 9, there's a story of a distraught father who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. The disciples are, are seeking deliverance. The boy wasn't just troubled or rebellious. This kid is full of demons, and it is ugly. So I can imagine them walking this kid down the street and as they're walking down the street people parents are grabbing their kids and pulling them inside because they see him coming this kid is messed up okay and the bible says he was deaf and he was mute he was full of demons he was absolutely hopeless considered hopeless to the people he spewed guttural sounds foamed at the mouth like a mad dog he was physically skin and bone because of this awful struggle his father had to hold on to him continuously because the Bible talks about he would throw himself into water. He would throw himself into a pond or a pool or, or to a lake. He would throw himself in the middle of the fire because the demons were constantly trying to take his life. So his dad literally had to hold on to him all the time. Can you imagine? Can you imagine as a dad you're having to hang on to him and every time you turn away or let go for a minute he's gone? He's running to the closest fire, to the closest uh, body of water and trying to kill himself. Can you imagine how many times the dad had to pull him out, save his life? How exhausting. I was thinking this week about what this kid's body looked like. The scars. The fires he's been in. The things he's tried to do to mutilate his own body. The father stands there before the disciples and the disciples begin to pray for him. He starts foaming at the mouth and he's contorting and, and gyrating. The scripture tells us the disciples prayed over him. We're not real sure how long, but we know that they prayed over him for a while. They prayed over him and prayed over him and prayed over him. And nothing happened. It was an impossible situation. But then God, then God steps onto the scene and everything changes. 
God steps on the, to the scene. And, and while these disciples are praying, before, before Jesus shows up, the disciples are praying over him, nothing happens. Praying over him, nothing happens. All of a sudden, religious people start gathering. Okay? Because that's usually the way it is. Okay? The religious people start together, and we start forming our opinions and, and our reasoning on why this kid's not being healed. And the Bible says the religious people started saying things like, uh, why, why is it your God healing him in this situation? Is the devil bigger than God? And can God handle everything except for this? And, and they start just kind of mocking this whole situation. And the, the, the disciples are praying and praying and praying. And then Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, everything changes. This impossible situation changes. He asks what's going on. The father answers him. And he says, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. He's hopeless. And Jesus responded with this. If you can, believe. All things are possible to him that believes. Come on. If you can, believe it. Okay? If you can believe it. Because all things, all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus is telling every one of the parents in that area. He's telling every one of you parents today that he is in control and he can handle every situation that we go through. Do you believe that? Come on, he is God. God is saying there's no problem, there is no circumstance, there's no terminal disease, there's no angry spouse, there's no broken marriage, there's no broken children. Hello, come on. There's no circumstance, there's no issue, no hate issue, no race issue, no broken, divided America that I cannot fix. I am God of the impossible. And he steps into the scene, he steps into this hopeless situation. The boy's laying on the ground, and, and everything is done. And the Bible says that he spoke a word. Jesus makes the impossible become reality. He rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute, he said. I command you, come out of him. And what? Come on, what? Never enter him again. At that point, the Bible says the boy fell on the ground as if he was dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Wow. Now, I can just picture what that, what that feeling was like. I don't know if, you have a, if you've ever had a miracle or something that was impossible in your life, but can you imagine? Can you imagine what that was like when, when the boy stands up and all of a sudden he's normal? All of a sudden he's completely healed. And we know that he was normal. We know that he was completely healed because God just doesn't do halfway jobs, you know? God just doesn't halfway fix him. He didn't fix part of his problem, and, and he still walked with a limp. God, God changed his whole life. I imagine the boy stands up, and he goes and jumps in his dad's arm. They spin around a few times. The dad holds him by the face. He keeps looking at him. He's like, it's you. You're back. He looks at him in his eyes for the first time. He's able to hold him for the first time. He's able to hug him for the first time. The boy's able to communicate with him for the first time. Everything that was impossible, everything that was hopeless just changed like that. Everything. Jesus stepped into a situation. Even the disciples, even the people that walked with him couldn't handle it. Jesus comes in. He says, is there anything, is there anything that I can't fix? Is there anything that you can write on that piece of paper that I can't solve? God's saying, I can do anything. I, I, I asked this week why, why the Spirit moved on Mark to include this story. Because you got to think, these, these writers of the Gospels, the writers of the whole Bible, they're Spirit-inspired. They're God-inspired. Okay, God breathed. We believe that. Amen? But we know for a fact that not every story is in the Bible. There are things that, have, there are things that Mark saw. Mark didn't write as... Every detail of every, of every story, of every situation, all the life that he saw. But Mark wrote specific things that God wanted to put in for us. So you have to ask yourself then, knowing that, why did the Spirit move on Mark to write this story? I think it was to remind parents that God can be trusted to do the impossible things with your children. I've walked into many, many, many bedrooms with anointing oil. Of parents who were at the end of the rope. 
desperate. I've seen possessed kids throw a chunk of computer across the room at us. We ducked, shattered on the wall. And I think in this moment here, God's trying to make sure that you know as a parent that it doesn't matter where your kids are, what they're doing, where they're going. God's saying, there's nothing that I can't fix, nothing that I can't solve. He's saying, I can restore anything to anyone if you just believe all things will be possible to you through me. Okay? Everything is possible to you through me. We see people agonizing all over, all over the world because of broken families and broken children. And uh, I, I could tell you story after story. There's a, a woman I know, she, was, she went to the slums, and to hear her tell the story is powerful. She went to the slums to find her daughter who was, who was addicted to crack. She was addicted to heroin. She had issue after issue after issue. And this mom was telling us one day, that she goes in and she goes to this area where they were all doing drugs. She found her daughter there many times. She goes in and she's asking where she at, where she at, where she at, where she at. She can't find her. A drug pusher finally tells her, he's like, she's in this, this drug den. She's in the crack den. So she walks in there. He's like, I wouldn't go in there if I were you. She says, I'm going to get my little girl. She goes in there and finds her. She's staring just off in space. She's a skeleton. And her mom gets down and just begins to plead with her, beggar, please come home, please come home. The little girl wouldn't even, I say little girl, she's about 17. She wouldn't even look at her in the face. She just said, get out. This is my life now. See, see, as parents, we go through all kinds of situations like that. Some of them not that extreme. But we go through hopeless situations where we wonder if our kids are ever going to pull away. God wants you to know today that he is the God of the impossible. Maybe you think your unsaved husband is hopeless. He'll never come to Jesus. Or, or perhaps you've given up on your wife who leaves at night to go out partying. No person has ever gone too far that God can't fix them. Do you believe that? No person has ever gone too far that God can't fix them. God can bring back to life anything that you have given up is dead. Mark chapter 5 tells a story of Jairus, the desperate synagogue ruler. He's, uh, he asked Jesus, he comes up, Jesus says, I need you to heal my daughter. She's 12 years old, she's very sick, she's dying. I need you to come quickly, come heal her. Jesus says, okay, no problem, let's go. <laughs> they start going, they get, in, they get into the city and it's crowded. It's crowded streets, they start moving through the city, through the crowd, Jesus and some of his disciples, and they're moving through the crowd. Jairus is with them. They're trying to get through the crowd, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He says, somebody touched me. The disciples are going, everybody's everybody's touching you. Jairus is in the back going, keep going, keep going, almost there. Jairus, his 12-year-old daughter, she's dying. And he's like, keep going, come on, keep going. And Jesus goes, stop. Somebody touched me. Everybody's touching. He says, no. No, I felt the power go out of me. And he turns around, and, and that's where he finds the woman with the issue of blood. She's there, and she's touched. She's reached out. She's touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus goes through this situation where he talks to her, and he communicates with her, and he says, woman, your faith has made you whole. Can you? And people are cheering. People are excited. They've known this woman. She's been going to doctor after doctor after doctor. She spent everything she had. And in a moment, she's healed. Everybody's celebrating. Wow, the disciples are going, how did he know? How did he know? He felt the power. This is incredible. Jairus is back here going, come on. Come on. Go. Go. My daughter. My daughter. While he's waiting, a messenger comes up to him and says, Jairus, your daughter died. She didn't make it. This woman with issue of blood, she's, she's clapping, she's cheering, she's walking around, she's hugging Jesus. And Jairus is standing there going, if you would have just kept walking, if you would have just went, if we would have went around the city like I asked you to, and you had to go right through the crowd, 
everything in his life just stops. The impossible has now happened. Mark 5, 35 says, this messenger came and says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Leave Jesus alone. See, what he could have done for her is past. Because now she's gone. Jesus turns and he looks at him. And he says, Jairus, be not afraid. Only believe. Only believe. See, in a situation where everything, all hope was gone. Jesus just makes a simple statement. He stops everything. And I, I want to imagine that time just stood still. And he looks at him and says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Because we know that if you believe, the impossible can happen. Now I want you to picture this. They, they continue walking and they get to Jairus' house. The whole family is crying. Okay, the friends and neighbors, everybody in this little area, community, they're all at Jairus' house. Everybody's crying. Everybody's waiting. Jesus walks in and we know that everybody is crying out loud. Jesus is standing in the middle of them and everybody's crying out loud. They're weeping out loud. They're mourning out loud. And Jesus is standing there. I, I, want, I want you to get this. I want you to understand what's happening. Because here we have in this contrast, we have God in flesh, the creator of the universe, able to perform any work imaginable. And yet they're standing there weeping in his presence. Weeping in his presence. I think that's what we do a lot of times when we come to church on Sunday. Don't get offended. Hear me. We're just like these, these people. We come into the presence of God and then we get, we're so distracted and so bound up by our circumstance and our thoughts and everything that's going wrong in our life. And we're standing there going, my marriage is on the rocks. I don't even know why I'm here today. My kids are rebellious. They're falling apart. My family's falling apart. I lost my job. I, I, my, I just got fired. My, I'm about to lose my house. Everything in my world is going, falling apart. And we're standing here in the presence of the Creator who created the heaven. He spoke life into existence. In short, they were testifying that God can only help as long as there's some sign of hope left. But once life is gone, there's no need to call on him anymore. Even he couldn't restore in that kind of situation. When we come to church and we keep our problems... When we come to church and we carry these burdens, these problems in here, and then we walk right out of the door with the same problems, then we're saying the same thing. God can only, only save if there's a, a, a sign of life left. But after that, there's no hope. And some of us are in the very presence of God right now, and we're wondering if he can fix it. Write it down. Write it down on that piece of paper. You're standing here in the presence of the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe who can make all things possible. And are we going to write it down? Or are we like this family who were sitting here and we called on God and called on God and called on God. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed over these situations. We prayed over our marriage. We, we tried everything in the world. We said, God, God, please, please, please. And then it died. There's no need for God anymore. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Isn't that what we do sometimes? I mean, we don't want to admit it, right? But we do. God is the God of the impossible. Jesus, he steps into this situation, and Jesus rebukes such unbelief. He says to the, all of those that are weeping in the crowd, he says, why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead. She's sleeping. He was stating, this situation is not what you see or what you think. There is about to be restoration. Okay? Jesus is saying to you this morning, why are you whining? Why are you complaining? Why are you weeping? What you see and what you think is not reality. Okay? You see a divided states of America? I don't. 
I see a, re a restoration where God's about to do something in the greatest nation on this planet that was founded, founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's going to restore his people. Amen. We're going to see people coming into the kingdom like we've never seen before. If the church would just stop sitting in the house crying and weeping and complaining that God can't do anything because all life and all hope is gone. Yeah. God is saying things aren't what you see. Things aren't what you think. She's only sleeping. The Bible says that he, he takes her up and he goes and he speaks a word over her. Takes her into another room and immediately the girl rose and she walked for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. What? Are you serious? Nobody expected that God, who created the heavens and the earth, God, who spoke life into existence, who took dirt and breathed life into dirt, could heal this sick little girl. And all of a sudden, they're amazed. They didn't recognize whose presence they were standing in. This morning, I don't think you all recognize whose presence you're standing in. There is nothing too dead or too far gone for him to restore. If you don't believe that God can fix anything, you're calling him a liar. Dun, dun, dun. I didn't expect a lot of amens. I wrote down right here, nobody was going to amen. <laughs> the Bible says in 1 John this, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Are you like Jairus' family and friends who's sitting around whining, complaining about this hopeless situation, grieving without ever testifying that my God can do the impossible? Because if that's us, we just sit around and we moan and we complain and we gripe about everything and we never declare God can do the impossible, then we're in essence saying, God, you're a liar. You're a liar. You could do it for everybody else, but not for me. You can't do the impossible in my life. All it takes is one word from Jesus. And that which was dead springs to life. In every situation, God can restore whatever seemed dead. There's another story I'll, I'll tell you quickly. Financial problems. Anybody got them? I didn't think we did in this church. We got Money just coming out. We're like, stop giving money. Everybody's got too much money. So I didn't figure there were financial problems, but we're going to talk about for other people and families that might go through difficult times. Because we're all, I know, we're all rich and stuff. But um, the tax season came around for Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus, he tells Peter, he says, I want you to go and I want you to catch a fish. We need to pay our bill. When you catch the fish, Open the mouth, you're going to find a coin in it. That coin's going to pay our taxes. <laughs> Peter's like, what? <laughs> Say, what? <laughs> How many fishermen we got in here? One? Really? One person fishes? Two people fish? Yeah, we need to get you guys out more. <laughs> okay, so there's this thing. It's called Water. And you take these sticks with strings on them and put a little, no, I'm just kidding. But So Peter, this fisherman, he goes out. And, and if, for those, since most of you have never fished, you may think this is common. But I'm going to tell you, it's not common to catch fish with money in it. Okay? I fished for a while. I love to fish. And I've never caught one with money in its mouth. So, so those of you who haven't fished, who think this is just common, it's not. So Jesus tells Peter, he says, I want you to go catch a fish. So, so Peter goes out and. He catches a fish, and it's flopping around, flopping around. He picks it up, and he's getting the hook out of its mouth or however he caught it. And he's like, okay, here we go. He opens its mouth, and there's a coin in it. There's money in the fish's mouth. And you know what? It was the exact amount of money that paid Jesus' and the disciples' taxes. What? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Why didn't Jesus just perform a little miracle uh, with like fish and bread? Hey, I'm going I'm to multiply some fish and bread. Y'all go sell it. Or why didn't he say, hey, guys, everybody go and work 
get work for a day's wages, come back, bring the money, we got to pay our tax bill. That's what I would have done, right? If I had a team of people with me and I was like, guys, we owe, we owe a little bit of money, um, we owe some taxes, so Cody, go out and, and let's raise some money. Everybody split up, raise some money, and bring it back here. Instead, Jesus says, Peter, go catch a fish, there's money in it. Why? Why did they write that story? I think because they're wanting us to realize that he can take an impossible situation and he can do the absolutely possible. He can make it happen. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back with me this morning. Jesus begins to move in this supernatural way because he wants you to realize that there's nothing that he can't fix. There's no problem that he can't solve. He wants us to know that he is the same God who fed Elijah with bread delivered by ravens. He's the same God who kept a widow's barrel of meal uh, full from dwindling during a drought. He's the same God who saved that widow from her creditors by filling up huge pots of oil from a little pint jar of oil. He's the same God who fed 5,000 then later he fed 4,000 with just a few loaves and fishes. He's the same God. The same God who did all that. And he knows that there's certain times in our life that only a supernatural miracle will do. Okay, there's times that, that he can give you a miracle by providing you a job or providing you a raise. But there's other times, supernaturally, he needs to do something crazy because he wants you to see, I can do something that's beyond your, your imagination. I can part the waters and make people walk around on dry land. I can send ravens, nasty birds, and they can feed you. I can send manna from heaven which, which is translated, what is it? And every single day, you're going to wake up and you're going to go, ooh, what is it? And you're going to eat it, and it's angel food. Because for 40 years, not one person got sick. I'm the God of the impossible. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the God of the impossible. But I want you to get this. His greatest work is that he can fix not only your difficult situation, but your sin problems. God wants you to have a life of freedom. Freedom from the sin that wages war, that keeps us bound up, the addictions that hold us down, that bind us up. God can restore broken marriages, broken homes, broken lives. He's still God of America, and He wants to set you free from these things that, that He saved us, but now He wants to deliver us. He wants to give you freedom from these sins that just keep pounding you down and make you feel like you're less than, make you feel like you're worthless. You have to believe that there's nothing in your life that's impossible with God. There's no clutch of the devil that he can't break. Church, we have to get a hold of faith this morning, amen? We have to get a hold of faith and believe that God can absolutely change and transform your life. If he can provide for a destitute widow, if he can provide for a demon-possessed boy, if he can provide for Jairus' daughter, he can provide for you. Our God can fix anything. Our God can fix anything. Absolutely anything. Come on, have you written it down? That impossible thing. That impossible thing. I, I mean, I thought this week, I wrote down on a piece of paper, 10 things. 10 things that in my flesh you get to a point where you just kind of forget even mentioning it anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Things you pray and you believe, you believe God can heal, but man, when he doesn't do it year after year after year, Satan comes in, he starts playing with that doubt, he starts building on that doubt, and he starts messing with your faith, and he starts going, maybe it's just not the cards for you. And then we start saying things like, but whatever God's will is, whatever God's will is, that's Christianese to, I don't really believe it anymore, so now I'm just going to say the right things. I'm telling you this morning, God is still the God of the impossible. And we just kind of, we've just not held him to that. And he's waiting for a church this morning to hold his foot to the fire and say, God, you said it. We believe it. And you said, if we can believe, 
that all things are possible to those who believe. Come on, you got it? I want everybody to stand with me. Cody, will you grab a, grab this and pull it down here? Grab both of them. Pastor Kevin, you help me out? Just set it down right here. I want you to take, take this paper in your hand, okay? And every one of us should have one. Because every one of us should have one. A situation where, and it's not that we don't believe God can do it already, but all of us, we're human, and sometimes that human element starts to kick in, and we've just prayed for so long, we kind of forgot to even pray about it anymore. We've just got used to the fact that He's not doing anything about it. So I want everybody to take your piece of paper, and I want you to hold it up. We're going to pray over it. After I pray over it, I want you to come, and I want you to put it in these buckets. It has nothing to do with Dallas Cowboys or, or uh, the Texans. But I want you to just stick in this bucket, okay? We're not going to pass these around. We're not going to go post them on, on the internet. But we are going to start praying over them. I'm going to pray specifically over them. I want you to begin to pray specifically over them. Hold it in the air right now. And I want you to call things those that are not as though they were, okay? I want you to begin to say it. Whatever it is, say, God, I believe right now that you can touch these. I believe that you can make these impossible things possible right now. Come on, say it in your own in your own mind, in your own words. Just tell him, say, God, I'm believing. I'm believing in, in Luke 18, 27, where you said the things that are impossible with men, they're possible with God. I'm believing right now that you said that if we can just believe it, that it's going to happen. God, I'm believing all these things right now, and I wrote them down. I wrote them down because I have faith that you not only can, but you will. And it, and it may not happen exactly the way or in the time frame that I thought it should happen. God, but I know without a doubt that you can make the impossible possible. And I believe that right now. And if you believe that right now, I want you to say a big amen. Amen. Now, come on. Come on. Just drop it in these buckets. I made it easy so that you can just walk by and drop it. Every impossible need, every impossible situation, we believe that God is the God of the impossible. Thank you for listening to the Exchange Church Podcast. Follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for the Exchange Church Houston. If you would like to give to the Exchange Church, you can go to our website at IamTheExchange.com and look for the red button in the top right corner labeled Give Online.